curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. The So You're In Sales Podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy. Let us show you how. Now, on with the show. Today's guest proved to be such a treasure trove of information, I decided to make his interview a two-part series. There's so much good information on both selling and mindfulness here that I wanted to give you all the chance to consider each topic on its own merit without having to devote the full hour this interview turned out to be in one listen. It's been 15 years since Rob and I stood face-to-face as forced co-workers by virtue of his company being acquired, and his wisdom, knowledge, and honestly grace in the process really was the glue that's held our friendship together ever since. For the last 28 years, he served as president and co-founder of ImageOne, ranked as one of the top 25 small businesses in America on the 2017 list of Forbes Small Giants. Through his entrepreneurial journey, he's developed an unwavering passion for delivering just extraordinary experiences that positively impact the lives of his team, the customers they have, and really even his community. He really takes a unique approach to business, and it's driven the company to success in its industry. It's recognized as a top workplace. It's well-known as an exceptional company. They've received local and national recognition for more than one award for a winning culture. What required a second episode is the fact that Rob's been meditating for almost 14 years now, and he's been at it for so long that he actually wrote a book called Do Nothing. It's the most rewarding leadership challenge you will ever take. And he also is the organizer of the Do Nothing Leadership Silent Retreat and host of the Do Nothing Podcast. Along with its 2017 Small Giants distinction from Forbes magazine as one of the 25 best small companies in America, ImageOne is also recognized as the number one top workplace in Michigan, a six-time honoree as national best and brightest company to work for, six times on the Inc. 5,000 fastest growing private companies in America, 
2017, he was awarded the Positive Workplace by the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business, and he's also they're also one of Crane's Detroit Cool Places to Work in both 2017 and 2018. Rob's a member of the Small Giants Journey and a past member of the Board of Directors for the Small Giants Community. He's on the Board of Trustees for the Boys and Girls Club, a past president of the Detroit chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization, and in 2013, Rob received the rare Everyday Hero Award for Community Service. I think you're really going to enjoy this. Please give it a listen. One o'clock on a Thursday. This is prime time that you're giving me in the middle of uh, selling time in the afternoon. So I very much appreciate you being on. No invoices for me, okay? No invoices. (laughs) Hopefully what will happen is one of our listeners will have a need for managed print services and we'll reach out to you and this will actually create an opportunity for you as opposed to it costing you money. So welcome. <laughs> welcome. Rob. Well, it's not costing me any money and being with you is, is uh, reward enough, quite frankly. So it's always fun to catch up with you, Roger. First of all, to have the arc of a career that spans more than 25 years to be able to have relationships that date back that long, <laughs> you know, ours isn't quite that long, but gosh, it's, it's in that ballpark. And to have the opportunity for us to have our past, uh, once again, cross is so neat. And yeah. uh, to, to know that while we've been on very separate journeys, part of which I want to make sure that you get a chance to tell that in many ways, there's there's overlap. So there you were s- selling suckers in school. I mean, <laughs> telling me the story. So whatever version of that you want to share with the listeners, I'm happy to let oh. you have the floor. Oh. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the story is, and it's a true story. Um, it started in ninth grade with my best friend and current business partner and only business partner, Joel Perlman. Uh, we did start selling uh, these blow pop lollipops out of our locker in the ninth grade. We would buy them for a nickel and resell them for a quarter. And we'd have the kids lined up and down the hallway at lunch. And I think at that point, the entre- entrepreneurial bug definitely bit us. But the thing I like most about that story is not that we were doing it, but that so many people can actually relate to it. Because if someone, especially probably many of your listeners, weren't doing something similar, maybe it wasn't a blow pop, but maybe it was something else, um, they certainly know somebody who was. And that's usually the reaction that I get. And I love that because it just prompts a, a really wonderful conversation. Well, when you're looking for commonality, you're offering someone a very simple way to identify with their own yeah. story should there be something in what you're saying that they, they find in that right yeah but, yeah but so clearly that wasn't the end of the game for you that was just the beginning of the game and, <laughs> I, and I love the fact that really through college and beyond it was that relationship that was forged at the locker in ninth grade that's really mm-hmm. carried you in a lot of ways forward so what happened once it was time to grow up and get a real job what happened yeah then? yeah well we, we definitely kept it going through high school and college with all kinds of different businesses but in 91 with not a lot of job prospects uh, we decided to get into uh, what was back then and I guess still is not not quite as prevalent we started remanufacturing toner cartridges for laser printers uh, two of the worst people to be in that business we can't <laughs> screw in a light bulb never mind take apart a toner cartridge fix it up and put it back together for resale so like 50% of the time, the cartridges that we sold just didn't work. You know what is funny? We didn't care 
we just loved having our own business. I don't think the product mattered one bit to us, <laughs> you know, so we were all about servicing the client. When they weren't happy, we were sick to our stomachs and still are to this day. Right. And so we would race out there, take care of them, do whatever we had to do at any cost, which meant we didn't make money for a good number of years. It was our thing and we loved doing it. Feel the same way today, minus all the problems, the quality problems. There's always some sort of challenge that presents itself, but... Yeah, we're in a much better space as far as the services and products we offer. Was the was the choice of toner cartridges for printers, was that someone on the team had a tech bent or was it we saw a pain point that we thought, hey, maybe we can solve a problem here for people and make a dollar in the problem? Maybe a little bit the latter. Joel saw a little classified ad in the back of Entrepreneur Magazine and laser printers were like two years old at the time. You know, it said, if you learn this process, you can sell for half the price and everybody was complaining about how expensive these starter cartridges were, which hasn't changed. Nope. Um, yeah, so, so we thought, wow, that seems like a great business. Let's go get trained. So we did it. And, you know, then the realities hit. Right, <laughs> right. It's one thing to be an entrepreneur. And the knock on early stage entrepreneurs is always the, I can have the vision, I can motivate and maybe even fundraise to allow myself the opportunity to birth a business. But once the actual writing of policies and procedures and what does your daily activity quota look like, like that's when the entrepreneur usually is looking for the exit. And so <laughs> here you are, how, you know, gosh, going on 30 years later, and there you still are. So there's something more to it than it wasn't. You're certainly an entrepreneur. No one's going to, no one's going to say, you know, that that's not where you um, get satisfaction from. But what was it about what happened once you'd gotten to a point where it became an actual business that really was the change for you? Mm. Well, I think being able to uh, delegate and elevate was part of it. So yeah. getting getting ourselves out of things that we weren't doing well. It took us a while, though. I mean, we were really just scrapping along for a good number of years. A, a really critical point for us was when we met this guy named Gino Wickman, and he taught us um, the entrepreneurial operating system, and that put good processes in place for our company in terms of how we were running it, what our core values were, um, our core focus, our vision. You know, we our marketing plan got clear, our three-year picture got clear. We got goals. We never had goals. We didn't have 90-day initiatives. We call them rocks, and uh, we just weren't communicating well as a company. Consequently, we were kind of hitting ceilings quite often. Yeah. So once we met up with him, that was a game changer. And uh, we really started to accelerate. And the beauty of that is there's this thing called Google now. You yeah. don't have to search around in the darkness for someone to be able to express to you that there's a way out of the darkness if you would just Google how to get out of the darkness. <laughs> Funny you say that because you would think that'd be the obvious, but yeah, my uh, travels and whatnot, I still see so many entrepreneurs that if I just spoke with uh, an entrepreneur recently uh, who had raised five and a half million dollars and um, they had been, they've been in business for three years. Great, really interesting business. Still no process for how they're running the business. Wow. No process. Wow. Wow. You know, yeah. It was really remarkable. It's wow. all over the place. So, and for someone who's been through that journey and understands the pain of what that feels like when you can't, when you have no rudder, there's yeah. no way to know where, where you're going or how you're even going to get there, right? So yeah, that's true. Establishing those principles, clarity of communication, clarity of messaging, clarity of outcome, KPIs, everything happened, but then people started to come. Mm -hmm. 
So People talk about that. In terms of our team members, yeah. employees, yeah, 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 for sure. You know, in the early days, without much um, in the way of certainly no core values, nothing to gauge really who we were looking for. Did they get it? Did they want it? Did they have the capacity to do it? Um, you know, we were just hiring people. And I, I think back all the time about the many people that came and went through our company early on. And, you know, because we just had really no experience and, and we weren't really doing a good job trying to find the right answers to being better hirers, better employers. And um, again, just another great reason to point to as to why we kept hitting ceilings. Uh, Entrepreneurial operating system really helped clarify all that. So again, you know, simple book, you know, it's a simple thing that happened that was a, a huge game changer. So to your point, you know, when you're searching, when you're challenged, even in sales, there are answers out there. Just keep going after them. That's one thing Joel and I kept doing. We were we were trying to find the answers. We knew something wasn't right, something wasn't clicking, couldn't completely identify it. And I think in sales, it's no different. You know, right. try to find that process that works for you. There's a lot of different ones out there. And when you do, and you're just executing on it, watch out world. Sales is still math. And the, the more efficient you are, the more math you can create. So, so true. it's become even more challenging to become efficient because of the explosion of ways we have to try to communicate with people. Mm-hmm. I hate, I'm almost loath to admit that while it was still awful, being able to get in an office building and pass out business cards and shake people's hands was a far easier way for us to be able to establish relationships than what people have to do today. Yeah, It's the truth because we were starting with an interpersonal connection. And so frequently I see members of the sales ranks that are all over the board, regardless of gender or age or demographic, believe that a non-physical connection is as good. And it's simply false. Mm -hmm. So in the process of trying to become efficient, part of the requirement is to understand how much of the non-physical connection should you be seeking? How much of the physical connection should you be seeking? And where should the bridges build between when you establish a non-physical connection, how do you get that to be a, become a physical connection? And I think mm-hmm. that's where people get lost a lot of the way. A lot of, of yeah, the and, and I have a question for you, actually, because there's something I think about a lot and I talk to our sales team about, and that is, do you really enjoy sales? And if so, what exactly is it that you enjoy about it? Right. Because a lot of times, some of the things you're talking about is, you know, is there fear involved and, and does it, does it say something either about the industry that you're in and the types of work that you have to do that maybe is outside your comfort zone? So you're trying to figure out some other way of making it work and it, you're just spinning your wheels. And so maybe it's more of a self-discovery to say, I'm, I'm not in the right career or I'm not in the right business for the skill, sales skill set that I have. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Roger? People come to the role of selling from so many different perspectives that frequently the, the, the first biggest gap is lack of willingness on the em, new employee's part to really tell the truth about why they're there and lack of ability for the employer to draw that out or lack of willingness to even care that that's what needs to happen so that you come with a clear understanding of what you need to provide that employee on the day they show up 
to help them be the most successful salesperson that they could possibly be. But setting that aside, now that I've arrived at a place that I've started my own business that is for me, that's based on a foundational principle of going to market, that's based on my own value, I can't wait to go to the office to talk to people because I feel like I have the cure for cancer. And not everyone in every sales position in every job feels that way. And there is a continuum. And you can still not have that degree of passion for what you do and still be successful. But if you're saying like you want to be fulfilled by what you do, if you don't have that element going on for you, and, and you know, we used to say at things like our sales managers would say things like, if you spend a little too much time in the shower in the morning, then maybe you should be thinking about it, right? And things like that. Like all of those things that really haven't changed, the, the way someone may have to encounter that decision-making process may be different. But the fact that if you don't get out of bed super excited for what it is you're going to go do today, start there. Mm-hmm. Right? Definitely. definitely. But, but on the other hand, what I'm trying to teach the folks that want to listen to what I have to say who are early in their sales career, the difference I think between now and then is I'm trying to encourage people to understand the problem that it is that they're attempting to solve over the arc of their career. I'm probably on a journey at this stage. It's very difficult to think that anyone's going to work for someone for forever. So what I have to figure out is, does this set of circumstances that I'm about to sign myself up for enrich me in a way that feeds my journey to where I'm ultimately trying to get? And usually that should be like what I'm trying to tell my youngest son, who's an engineer. I said, don't think about what you want to do. Think about the problem you want to solve to put you in that moment when, oh my God, I have the right amount of training, education, experience, expertise, and knowledge and passion to do what it is I want to accomplish. And I just, you tell me how many people in the world are actually there. And I, I don't think it's that many. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's always interesting to me. You know, one of the things that, that we um, have a requirement at Image One. Uh, that everyone do. Requirement always sounds so strict, but wow. it's really a fun thing. And that is um, they, they complete each complete and review uh, a vision and goals worksheet each year. And so it starts with a visioning process, which we learned from Zingerman's in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And they have a very unique way that they uh, go about helping you in steps, I should say, that help you to create a really vivid and inspiring, realistic, but far-reaching vision for the future. And you write it in the present tense So it's as if, um, and when I say present tense, I mean, say you pick 10 years in the future and uh, it was today, the 11th. Yeah. So let's say it's April 11th, 2029. And you're speaking about that day as if it's real. And so you start to see it in your mind's eyes, really powerful. Um, We teach that to everybody in the company and then they create their vision and then they break it down into their three to five year goals, their one year goals. And then we have something we call the 101, uh, the 101 list, which is just 101 things that you want to do or accomplish in your life. And it could be anything, the sky's the limit, don't limit yourself, make it huge because the 101 list is is just kind of there to manifest in a way. So, you know, that's one way of going about it. There are a lot of ways of going about it, but the point is that you go about it. And I think to you, to what you were mentioning is many don't start to go through that process that you were sharing. And it's very valuable. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. And so now let's get down to discipline. 
another word that's always hard. <laughs> you know, it sounds so scary. Discipline. You're disciplined. I'm not disciplined. Yeah. It's like, okay, it's cool. You don't have to, you know, um, be quote unquote, like this hammer with every second, but you can find the time to dream a little. Uh, if you really want to move forward and be the best at your craft and be the best at what you're doing and to take your advice, Roger, um, with what you just shared earlier, is take a little bit of time, of, uh, you know, uh, vision time or, or clarity time or, or free time or, you know, there's a million words for it. Take an hour once a month and just re- start writing your vision. It doesn't need to be done the first time. Have it take six months. You would have put six hours into it. That's pretty powerful. And it's, it's, you're at the top echelon of anyone else in your, in your field, you know, and in your craft. So you and I both know there's, there's a couple things here and I'll just touch on it real quick. One, if you write it down, you got to do it. And a lot of people are scared to write it down because then they got to do it. The minute you commit to it and you've made it something that's tangible, like scientifically proven that once you've put that there, and then the second, you know, is if you tell somebody. So if you write it down and then you tell somebody, now you're really screwed. Now you really got to do it. So So a lot of people will avoid that for fear of like, okay, now I have to be committed to doing that. But then secondarily, committing to an outcome without any certainty about its success. That's really what you have to do. You have to say, I'm going to do this and it may turn into nothing. It may be a big bucket of a waste of my time and I won't know unless I do it. But too many people are saying to me that I should. So at some point you have to get to a place where you're like, all right, I'll begin the process. And really, you know, like I do that what happens is it's going to be shit for a while. You're, you're not going to get it to where it is, but then you're going to have your moment of clarity where you're going to go, oh, there it is. And once it's there, that sort of is when it's the fork in the road, because now you have a real decision on your hands. Like, am I going to take what I just found and do something with it? Or am I going to remain bottled up in the cocoon of whatever the safety net I've created of misery for myself? <laughs> or am I going to break out and really like, okay, have it be the time to do it? So how did that happen for you? Mm, you had me going on a whole nother thought process. There. Can, I, can I speak to it for yeah, a sec? Yeah. And then because can... there's a really important topic that I think is very relevant to salespeople. It's called fear. And you said it right at the outset. I think what I see often in many people, and let's just speak to salespeople for a moment, is the things that they aren't doing, if there's a little bit of self-discovery that they would take some time to do, oftentimes, it, oh, it boils down to fear. And so that's cool. Like, there's no problem. Like, fear's not a negative thing, actually. It's a great thing. Yeah. So now just embrace fear. Say, hello, fear. Nice to meet you. You've been holding me back, or actually, I've been allowing you to hold me back. So similarly with salespeople, you know, just kind of take a look in the mirror and decide if things aren't moving in the direction that you hoped, yeah, go a little bit deeper inside and and, and talk about you know, to yourself about it, what what place fear is in in this whole picture. So, to me, I think fear has played a ton of um, a huge role in in the things that I haven't been able to accomplish or I wasn't initially accomplishing, and I don't think I recognized that early on. And I'm happy that I'm starting to recognize it more as I've gotten, you know, more into my career. And so I can acknowledge those things. And, and sometimes I address them and sometimes I procrastinate. I don't, even though I know. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a lifelong journey for me. You know, I'm not a person with no fear. You know, I, I've always admired those that have fear. So I really have to push myself out, out, out of my comfort zone to do some of the things that have helped me get to whatever place I am in. 
nine times, nine, actually, I'm going to say 10 times out of 10. <laughs> always. I'm al- always glad I've done it. Always, yeah. always, yeah. always, always glad I've done it. One other thing that I wanted to mention is that when, just in reference to something that you were saying, and that is, you know, sometimes you do get into these things and you say it's messy or it's a big dud or whatever, but it's wisdom gain. And so you tried something. And so who cares what anybody else thinks about it? And if they're like, oh, Rob tried this and that didn't work. And then he tried that and that. And he's always trying things that don't work. That's cool. I'm fine with that because I'm trying things. What are you doing? <laughs> right, right. You're just doing status quo. Yeah. So like I'm trying stuff, I'm getting uncomfortable, I'm living life, I'm awake and, and that's what's important. And so in sales, you know, or any career for that matter, it all requires some fear and out of your comfort zone stuff and maybe stuff you don't even really want to do, but you're right. doing it right. because it's wisdom game. Fear, uncertainty and doubt are the three major motivators for most people. This concept of fear holding us back where I finally got clarity is fear lives with you just like your brothers and your sisters and your parents and your aunts and uncles. And what you have to do is you have to accept fear and let it sit right at the table with you. Mm-hmm. And acknowledge its presence, but not let it hold you back. And fear, just like your mother who likes to tell you when you're wrong, will tell you oftentimes, fear will say, I told you so. (laughs) And and sometimes it's right to listen to your fear just to stay alive. Mm -hmm. But too often, people will default to what fear tells it as the opinion of choice when making a decision. There's more people at the table than fear. Why are you letting that person be the only person you listen to? Once you've been able to get past that to a certain degree, and like you said, for all of us, that never stops happening, but it certainly, it becomes more evident on other people who are using the fear card as an obstacle on purpose. Mm -hmm. If if you say you don't want to do that, then stop telling me that's why, because both of those things cannot exist together. And if you want to be successful and you want to move past it, you just have to let that be at the table with you. Mm -hmm. It's not that difficult of a concept. That's good. That's good. Hey, you know, some of these concepts are very simple in nature, but they're very difficult to execute on. There was one other thing that came to my mind, and that is, what about vulnerability? Mm -hmm. You know, what about owning your mistakes like big time? and then turning it into a real positive. I know it's cliche and people hear it all the time. I like to share this one story. We were in a, uh, a large organization. We were trying to sell them. We had done a uh, financial pro forma to show uh, this really amazing savings. We, we were like astonished. We were so excited. Couldn't wait to get in there. We were with the uh, exec and his team and we're showing him on the screen. And um, my business partner, Joel, looked at the screen as he was talking and he stopped. And then he stopped, he looked at the screen again. And he goes, I'm really sorry, you guys. These numbers are completely wrong. Oh no. He just did the numbers in his head. Uh And they just weren't adding up. Right. So the savings wasn't anywhere. (laughs) Jeez. Now, you've all been in meetings. A lot of times, they're they're not doing the math. You got it up on a screen or on the whiteboard. And, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll look yeah, at that. Okay. Later. Oh, yeah, right. So Joel owned it. And he said, I'll tell you what, I wouldn't blame you if you didn't have us back in here after this. And I hope you do, uh, because what we're gonna do is fix it. We're gonna come back and we're gonna show you the real picture. And hopefully you'll keep us in running. Uh if you don't though, I don't blame you for one second. We can't right. show this. 
Right. And just really vulnerable. And, um, and so, you know, they had kind of an edge a little bit at that point. Um, to make a long story short, we did end up winning the business. Right. And one of his te- one of the execs team members said that that was a moment that they pointed to where they felt that they could have a trustworthy partner. Being vulnerable is, I think, a really special thing to to work on and cultivate. 